Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The Old Testament of our Bible is all about the coming Christ. Prophetically, it speaks about the one who would come to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It speaks about the Messiah whom God would send to take care of our greatest problem, the problem of sin, and whom God would later glorify and set on the highest throne in heaven and greatest exaltation over all of his enemies. Of course, this speaks of Christ. Yes, the meek and lowly Jesus, who allowed vile men to beat and spit on him and nail him to a cross. Yes, this is the one with whom we all have to do. The world has not yet seen the last of the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the Old Testament promises for his first coming, and he will fulfill those pertaining to his coming back again. In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. Bruce Rogers takes a deeper look at these Old Testament passages, relating them to the New Testament book of Hebrews. What a marvelous book is the Bible! We know that you will enjoy this message entitled, One Son, One Sacrifice. Now we're going to look, first of all, in the Old Testament, Psalm 110. Now there's a verse in this psalm that is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. That's not the verse I'm going to be focusing on particularly, but this psalm is a very significant, very important psalm from the Old Testament. The title of it says, A Psalm of David, and that would give to us some indication of the time period. It would have been written about a thousand years before the time of Christ. So here's what it says. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen or the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now, you would think that words like this sound like he must be very significant. This person, whoever he is, must be very significant to the history of the world. Very significant to the future of the world. Here is someone who is destined to judge the world. He is destined 
to rule the world. So we really need to get to know who he is. Notice in verse 1, you have two people. One is called Lord, and the other one's called Lord. Now, there are two different words in the original language for Lord. The one word refers to the name that has been translated or put into English as Jehovah or Yahweh. It is a title used of God in his uniqueness. It is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament writings. So it's a significant name. And if we were to translate it in its most literal sense into English, we would say the eternal, the eternal God. The eternal God said to my Lord, you sit at my right hand, this side. You're right, this is my right. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Do you have any idea from this reading who this refers to? Any idea? Well, let me take you into the New Testament because we are going to see how the New Testament interprets the fulfillment of this. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Starting at verse 1 again, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, at various times, different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Now, listen to this. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then if we go down through the chapter, we will see that the declaration to him is, as verse 5 says, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Verse 13 says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now, back in Psalm 110, there are two little expressions that I want you to remember and carry with us tonight. The first one I've been emphasizing, sit, sit thou. Sit at my right hand. And then he says, until, until I make your enemies your footstool. And then in verse 2, he says, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So we are presented with an idea here that there is something that has happened in the world that has brought about this situation that's being expressed. Hebrews chapter 1 really tells us God has spoken. Now, I hope that each one of you tonight have some awareness of God, that you're willing to acknowledge that God exists 
and that God has a connection with us, a very vital connection. He made us. He designed us. He has purposes for us. But we have lost our way. I don't think it should be very difficult to convey the reality that we live in a world where evil is very evident. Everything is not normal. In fact, we would be almost accurate to say that nothing is normal, and none of us are normal, if that's any consolation to you. We all share in something that is destroying us, and physical death at the end of our present life is just an evidence that everything is not normal. Everything is not good. Everything is not as God designed it to be. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we learn that God has spoken. He spoke in many different ways in the past through the prophetic scriptures. And I have come to appreciate more and more the tremendous significance of prophecy in the Bible. It is one of the evidences that God is the author of it. Anybody can write whatever they think and claim whatever they want of knowledge of God, that they are revealing something from God. But someone who was a prophet from God spoke of things in the future. And when we see the fulfillment of them, it brings us to this awareness. This is something more than just a good imagination. This is God. So God has given many evidences of himself. But he has given this vital evidence that he is speaking to us as we read of prophecy that is brought into fulfillment. In Hebrews chapter 1, this is a few years after the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, God has spoken. He spoke in times past through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us in or by his son. What is the message? Well, first of all, I want to give you the context of the message. It says, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. What does that mean? That means that his son is the heir of everything that exists. It belongs to him. And in fact, one of the beautiful pictures from the Old Testament is what we call a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman is just an old English word for relative. And the kinsman redeemer was someone who in the event that a family lost their inheritance, for whatever reason, they became impoverished, they couldn't keep their property, they had to sell the property, they lost their inheritance in the land. A close relative could redeem it. He could buy it back for the family who had lost it so that it would be kept within the family line and heritage. And this is one of the thrilling concepts of the Bible, that Jesus came from heaven. He is Lord. He is that one called Lord in Psalm 110. He belongs to deity and to eternal being. Those are the attributes. Those are the qualities that are his. And in Hebrews 1, we learn he is this great creator, this one who is the heir of all things. He also made the worlds. And so if you think that the life and death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is irrelevant to you and to your life, just remember this. 
he created the universe. And this scripture also tells us that he is presently upholding all things, which means he is sustaining it. You ever wondered what keeps the laws of the universe operating? Do you really think that the reason and meaning of everything is derived from material atoms? There's something far, far bigger, far greater that gives significance and purpose to everything. It's someone who is the eternal God. God has now spoken to us in his son. A son who came into our humanity, he joined us. He became our close relative and he was willing to pay the price to redeem the lost inheritance. And that's what we have expressed here. Who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person or of his being, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Now that's a sacrificial term. It may not make much sense to you, but it is the idea of sin being cleansed, of the defilement, the judgment that belongs to sin, all of that being removed before the face of God. Here is someone who has done this all by himself. And then it says, when he had done this, he sat down. So what does that imply? It implies a finished work, an accomplished work. And so there are two great significances of this Psalm 110, and then picked up in Hebrews chapter 1, and repeated through the book of Hebrews. He has sat down. He has sat down at the throne of God. And the first Great significance of this is that he has accomplished what it takes to save us from sin. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then we have it quoted at the end of the chapter. It says, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now let's go a little further into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, much of the book of Hebrews is taken up with the great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has entered into heaven as a priest. Again, that's quoting from Psalm 110. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Someone who can go between us and God. Someone who can enable us to be in relationship with God. Someone who can take care of that relationship. Many people and many religions in the world instinctively recognize that we need someone who is more spiritual than us. Someone who understands God better than us. Someone who is closer to God than us. Who can help us be right with God and be maintained in that relationship. Well, I want to tell you that God himself has provided his own son, to be this person. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, verse 24, For Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, that is, to some sanctuary, which are figures of the true or the real, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others, 
Now here he's making comparison with the Jewish sacrificial system and the high priest of the Jewish system that was still existing at that time when this was written. It says, for then, verse 26, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world or the consummation of the ages has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Now let me just read a couple more verses in chapter 10. Verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth or from now on, expecting or waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, I've read quite a bit here just to bring the emphasis. One man, one sacrifice, once forever. Do you know that God does not offer you any other hope? There is no plan B, as we would use the expression. It is either his son as your savior, the death of his son covering your sin, or judgment. At the end of chapter 9, he says, as it is appointed. Death is not just a natural thing, not just simply a natural outcome of some disease. It is a decree of God, a decree of God that has come upon humanity because we have rebelled against him. And as each one of us share in that corruption that sin has brought, and I hope there's nobody here so stubbornly blind as to say, I don't sin. I don't do anything wrong. I've never hurt anybody. God has nothing to say to me about sin. Yes, he does. God has made it clear. God, in speaking to us and sending his son to die for all men, by logical conclusion, we have to say all men are under the judgment of God. Are you willing to respond to God tonight? Are you willing to recognize that the God of eternity, the God that you cannot outrun, the God that you cannot escape from, The God who appoints your destiny, he has given you an offer. He has brought near to you the hope of salvation. And the wonderful promise is here, just as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Do you know what my hope is? My hope for myself rests entirely upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on my behalf. I have no other hope. 
I know myself far too well to ever dream that I can come to God on my own and be accepted in heaven and be acknowledged as being righteous. I hope you're willing to be honest tonight because it's honest people that God can help. If you are willing to acknowledge your need, we have a wonderful, wonderful message to tell you. God has spoken. God has spoken in the giving of his son. And that giving of his son was to take away sin. Notice the expression here in chapter 9. He appeared in the end of the world or the consummation of the ages. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you know anybody who would die for you? Who would willingly, deliberately take your place facing death? I have someone who has done that for me. And I'm willing to face death. I am willing to face eternity. I am willing to face the eternal God with this word. Because it's God's own word. It's God's own message. I have sent my son for you. Now this should also highlight the importance of responding to his voice. Because there is an until. Christ today is seated in heaven. He is seated there so that the throne of God is actually described in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 as the throne of grace. The throne of kindness, of love, of mercy. But there's a day when it's going to change. Because what happened 2,000 years ago has to be answered. The cross has to be answered. Christ is going to be vindicated. And the same one who was impaled on a cross in apparent weakness, humiliation, left to die as far as they were concerned. God watched his son on the cross and God placed upon him the burden of our sins and God received and accepted the sacrifice that he made for us. But God hasn't forgotten what men did to his son. And there's a day coming when he's not going to be saying, just stay seated, just wait. He's going to say, rise, rule, rule in the midst of your enemies. And I want to tell you tonight, as simply as I can, Christ is coming back into this world. History is not just going to be repeated because he's not going to come back in the way he came. He's coming back to assert his sovereignty, to claim his inheritance. And everything, everything is going to be subjugated to him. And so if you see the chaos in the world tonight, you see the calamities that happen, you see the war that is going on, I have to warn you, you haven't seen anything yet because he is coming to judge the world. But that is why this time period is so essential because today he's seated. He is waiting for the day of vindication, but even more, he's waiting for you to respond to his grace because God has said that the one who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life yes the Lord Jesus is coming back again first to receive his church back to himself and then the second time for judgment It will be too late to prepare then, my friend. 
now is the time for you to respond to the sweetest call of the gospel. Come, for all things are now ready, says the word of God. Won't you trust Christ, God's promised Messiah? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.